Welcome to the Don't Overthink This podcast, where we explore connect ideas without overthinking it. I'm Brian Heath. And I'm Ross Jackson. Ross Jackson, welcome. It's good to see you again. It's, we just got back from all the holiday breaks and the festivities. Did you enjoy any family gatherings? I did. I, uh, I got together with uh, my my parents and uh, my brother and my niece and nephew and, and all of uh, my family. And that was very nice. And then I saw uh, some of my aunts and uncles and uh, cousins for breakfast. And that was nice too. So how, how about you? I had a variety of family gatherings, my wife's family, my family. It was, it was good. I think the one element that you definitely, at least I always learned and, and I'm reminded of, of how distinct and diverse the world is when you get back together with people who in theory are related to you in some fashion, just how different and distinct everyone can be. So it's a good sort of reminder if we find ourselves in sort of like a bubble of our own existence that when you reach out to these family members and hear other ideas around dinner and stuff like that, um, you definitely can be reminded of the distinct views of the world that exist. And, and I'm always amazed at the sort of compounding interest of uh, difference. So, you know, for instance, with, with my cousins, when we were younger, there were uh, certainly some observable differences, but those differences were sort of minor to bridge. And over time, the sort of doubling down on, you know, aesthetic preferences and existential proclivities, you know, over the course of a lifetime, those initially small differences are are quite significant and and much more challenging to bridge. So I, I always find it interesting to see how how much each of us sort of propels into the the area uh, that that our trajectory put us on. There's always like that phenomenon we talked about how like your high school friends are typically not the friends you have in college and not the friends you have for the rest of your life. I generally find that to be true that kind of as you age and, and grow up and you're, you go down different paths, you sort of find new friends and new opportunities and different ways of thinking. And, but whenever you do get back together, you kind of definitely see the compounded difference of how each trajectory, how life can go so many different ways. It's, it's definitely interesting to observe. Uh, so Dr. Heath, um, in addition to it being the holiday season, we have sort of an internal celebration of, of our own. Uh, this week, we hit 250 blogs on don'toverthinkthis.net. Uh, so what are your thoughts on hitting that milestone? So two, 250, that's not a small number. No, it's kind of crazy to think about because when we started doing it, it was, just, it, it was a little more than just a whim. I had read or seen some stuff about how you should just try to write every day. And then one day I was like, I'm just going to write stuff. And then I texted you. I was like, hey, Dr. Jackson, you went on this writing thing. And then we, we got started uh, at the end of August and been doing it since then, uh, multiple times a day, mostly. And one thing I've noticed the most is I feel like my thoughts are clearer uh, around certain ideas where before maybe I would ancillary think about them and it kind of be fleeting more in and out. But writing every day has sort of like clarified those thoughts for me, have made them more crystal, have uh, maybe opened opportunities of like weird things that I find paradoxes in or weird elements where I'm not sure where something should go. So I definitely find that process to be more clarifying for me. My experience is so far that writing unlocks a different kind of way of thinking than just maybe talking with folks or uh, just reading about things. I think trying to articulate your own thoughts back is into a coherent manner produces, I think, better outcomes. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I've en- I've enjoyed it. I, I certainly agree with everything you've said. It certainly uh, sharpens one's thinking. I, I'm amazed at the sort of skill of writing that that what at first took a little bit of time and and seemed uh, challenging to to get it all put together um, now comes relatively quickly. And and it has you know spillover effects in either academic papers or uh, consulting reports or even emails that uh, sort of the the ease at which I am able to articulate any of my thoughts in written word uh, has you know improved through the process of writing these. Yeah, I think there's definitely a thing to be said that the only way to get good at writing is to write. And I know one thing I that I kind of view as, you know, I'm going to keep improving my skills. I definitely see that my writing's getting better. I think if anyone objectively reads our stuff and reads it from the beginning to now, you'll see, I think, progression and improvement. But you, I think at also the same time, you kind of have to write the bad stuff to get the, to get to the good stuff, if that makes sense. So I, I, I think all of our posts have merit and are good, but I think some are better than others. But I think a large part is, I think there's a general idea, I would say maybe from school or other areas where we think, when you write something, it has to be like the most amazing thing ever. Like you get one shot at it, right? You get you get to submit one essay, you get a term paper or something like that. Uh, you get one chance at a book, like those sorts of elements maybe we think about, but maybe it's more about the editing and the curation over time. Putting more out there results in, in long-term sort of better outcomes uh, so for I, you to find the core essence. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because I, I've seen, I've observed this in sort of political hearings where people are uh, being considered for a position and they'll bring something out from 10 years ago that they wrote and they they say, hey, you, you said this. And I wonder your thoughts on writing this volume of things that do you view it more as this is a repository of what I thought at a particular moment in time and in no way is it constraining to future positions you hold? Or, or is there some sort of existential consistency that is required within society that you've put this down in writing, therefore, at any point in the future, you're going to be held account to this is what you think today, not just what you thought about writing about in the past? There's two angles on this, as you sort of hit on. I would say probably the dominant perspective in our culture right now would be, hey, you said this at some point in time, and you have to be held accountable for that that thing that you said. Uh, you wrote something, you did something, you took a photo, and that's just who, and, and now that's labeled to like who you are as proof point, especially with Twitter and Facebook and all these things that you can basically have your whole sort of life documented, at least a version of your life documented. I think it can be held up that way. But I would say for me, when I'm writing these posts, uh, I'm thinking more about, hey, this is what I'm thinking about at this moment in time, and I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> That's probably been something that for me, at least mentally, I see as being a hurdle of when you're initially starting to do it, if you have that mindset of, oh, I, what I write here could be read and pulled back on forever and maybe misinterpreted. That's true. And that's been happening throughout history. But I do think that once you get over that hurdle and say like, hey, this is just where I'm at right now and I'm trying to develop and move forward, it sort of frees, frees you a little bit of it. But obviously there's going to be people who could use that as a weapon against you, right? As much as a weapon for you. There's this uh, 
like Irish proverb or something like this prayer or something like it's something like help all the people who are against me. But if, if you can't change their minds, Lord, like at least twist their ankles so I can see them limping when they're coming, you know, <laughs> those sorts of things, something like that. And I wonder if when you, when people come after you for something that you've written in the past, it's an indicator of their mindset. And so then you kind of hopefully then are aware of like how to deal with them in the future. So maybe that's a positive way to spin on it. How do you sort of view it? Are, are you worried about the things you write as being held up against you at some point or to, or just a representation of you at this moment? Um, so not at all. I, I, I think uh, in the past, I, I was more concerned that something that I would write would come back to haunt me. But but now two things. One, I realize how infrequently any of my stuff is ever read. So, uh, you know, the the low volume of readership is is its own sort of blessing. Uh, but but in addition to that, I, I think that I'm much more comfortable with the notion of and, and usually I'm not even staking a position. I'm just exploring uh, an idea. So it's, it, you know, it's not really, I'm, I'm almost never declaring something like I think X. It's just sort of, this is a topic that I'm exploring some of the implications of. So, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, it's much easier to just say, yeah, that's what I was interested in, in a particular point of time with a particular focus and, and it in no way constrains my, my future thoughts or actions. Yeah, I have this experience with things I've written a long time ago, where if I happen to reread them, it's almost like a stranger is writing them. You know, sometimes it connects with me. I'm like, oh, th that was like a, an interesting thought or something smart to say, or it's like, boy, I don't agree with that necessarily anymore. But it's kind of this weird out of body sort of experience, because like, I see on the paper that I wrote this, and like, I know I wrote this, from this set evidence, but when I'm actually reading it, it's it's like it's from it's like time travel sort of feeling, or is this something where it's like this isn't even the same person? So I think that maybe validates some of the idea that you're when you're writing this, you're writing this as what you think or what you're in that moment as. Uh, for at least for me, that's how I experience it. So you do you experience that? Do you ever go back and read things you've written a long time ago? I, I do, and I actually I, I have a similar extension to that. So. I, I have books that I've read from college to now, and I've had different colored highlighters that I use depending on whether it was undergrad, master's, my doctorate, and then after doctorate. So I can sort of, within a band, uh, sort of time calibrate what, what I was learning at the time that I was reading the material. And there's definitely a, a discernible pattern of concepts that were meaningful enough to highlight in the book, but that those those were influenced by the types of things that I was studying or what I was interested in. Uh, the same's true for for older works that I've written. it's it's like someone else wrote it. I think it's really interesting how I guess little emphasis we give, at least in our current culture, the idea of development that people can develop and grow. And I think there's it's sort of like a paradox, a little bit of it, where I feel like some places they feel like it's about growing development. But I really think that overall it's undervalued. And in your writing, if you write and you reread what you've written or you read a book again after many years, you can see that things have developed and grown. But I feel like for large part, organizations and people probably undervalue development. Yeah, well, I think they they privilege the predictability of of the status quo. 
right? So they have a preference for feeling like they they know what box to put somebody in and and where somebody's coming from and people are known quantities and that level of predictability is reassuring to them. Though, though I will say, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, uh, a foolish consistent consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. So the idea, the, the idea that uh, we contain multitudes, as Whitman would say, uh, and, and that, you know, we don't need to be constrained by a foolish consistency is, is uh, well established in American uh, transcendental philosophy. And one of your analytics aphorisms you wrote, uh, nothing remarkable is achieved routinely. And so we've been talking about how we've started our posts, blog posts, and been doing that almost routinely daily. But yet we've been looking at the 250 and saying, hey, this is maybe a, a, a good achievement for us. How does that connect? Does that aphorism apply in this situation? Well, it certainly does. And I think I think you indicated that you yourself think that... Uh, you know, with within the 250, there's definitely wheat and there's there's some chaff in there. Uh, I, I will say that I, I think it does. And and really, my point of that was kind of like if if you want to maximize uh, your your hits, the way to do that is not to become a better batter. It's to maximize the number of times at bat, um, you know, that that 250, they're not all going to be good. But if you do 250, maybe 20 are good. And, and 20 that are good is better than uh, the, the zero that you would do if you didn't do any of them. And it's probably better in the aggregate than if you only wrote one or wrote five. Um, that with, within volume, within the routine, um, it's not that something exceptional won't happen. It just won't happen as a matter of routine. It's not necessarily about the routine. It's about the intention of the routine. Well, and it's it's the confluence of things that are within the routine and out exogenous from the routine, right? That, you know, I think within my career anyway, uh, certainly there were aspects of it that were routine, but the, the truly breakthrough things were, uh, I happened to go out to lunch with somebody and we had a good conversation and something sparked or we got a cup of coffee and, and you know, an idea sort of percolated and we came back and, and worked on it. Uh, so, I mean, the operational portion of it, there is a routine, but without the thing with that that was external to it, it's just going to be routine. It'll be a mediocre product produced in a mediocre way. Um, not that it's necessarily bad, but it's certainly not going to be remarkable or exceptional. The 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 sort of exception requires something that is exogenous from the routine. So it sounds like a few times uh, opportunity uh, knocked, maybe that broke away from your routine, and then you decided to go after it. Is that what you would say? Yeah, I think an openness, right? That the the you know I, I think when people face projects or tasks, there's sort of a focus of, I want to get this done. And if if one can sort of cultivate a mindset that says, uh, I, I want to allow myself to be open to inspiration while I'm doing this task, that that's when things can, can make things amazing. So I think you said in one of your posts that a lot of people don't take an opportunity with Knox, but sort of dream about it. Like uh, it's 
I think you said adults can talk about opportunity knocking as sort of like a socially acceptable way to daydream, but that no one really wants to kind of go after it. How do you recognize an opportunity? Like, because you said also in your post that opportunities are not necessarily going to be easy uh, for you to go after. Like, they're not just like going to fall in your lap. How do you well, adjudicate what say, a good opportunity I, is? I would say they almost never do, right? I mean, it's it's not like, uh, there, there's not like some billionaire is going to come up to you and, and say, hey, how would you like to have $10 million in a Porsche? And then it's like, yippee, I, I got this, right? It's it, it, almost always an opportunity comes to you packaged as a hassle. Somebody's coming to you with, um, hey, do you want to mow my lawn? Or, you know, hey, can you help me build a fence? And you know, most of the time it's kind of like, well, I want to play video games or I, you know, I want to uh, watch a movie or I just want to laze around on my sofa, right? Whenever an opportunity comes, it, it's always packaged as a hassle. And it's really whether or not somebody can see the path from doing this thing to, to a future that might be more fulfilled or more aligned with what they want. And, you know, that's that's really the trick, the trick is to understand that almost always, at least from the people I know, even when they pursued an opportunity, it was sort of like, yeah, this was at an inopportune time. I had other stuff going on. I had to do this in addition to it, but I knew that it was a, a, a golden opportunity for me to show my worth or to develop the skill. So I took it, right? And and I, I think that to people who are more acceptable in traditional social estimations are the people that understand that all of the things that other people were offered and, and seemed like a hassle and they turned it down, they were successful in large part because they accepted the opportunity. How much of a pain has it been since I uh, knocked with the opportunity of, hey, let's write some blog posts. How much, how much pain and suffering have you gone through? Well, you know, the, the nice thing about something that has worked out so well, Dr. Heath, is that you don't count the the hassle and the pain that that occurred along the way. I, I'm just focused on how, how delightful it is to hit, to hit 250. So uh, you, you talked about building a business, and I, and I think that this is sort of related in, in that people who build a, a business uh, tend to focus on what they're interested in and, and doing the work, and they, they like the the activity, but they're not necessarily building it for sustainability. That that some some of the things that somebody would do are actually quite self-defeating in terms of making the project sustainable. So I was wondering if you, you know, since you've uh, created your own company, uh, what what do you think you're doing to make it more sustainable, or do you think you're falling victim to the same sort of issues that you identified? Well, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, I named the the company Heath Analytics, and, I, and it's sort of like not really about me, but it's kind of because I wanted to be a little bit about the things kind of I think about or that that collectively, whoever we is, you being a part of the company uh, wants to get uh, around, but also because it was just available for a domain search. So it kind of feels like an ironic sort of like calling it after uh, after myself seems a little bit like an ego inflating maneuver. Although I would say, hopefully you don't feel this way that it's any way kind of like that, that I'm running around with whatever I say. 
I, I feel very subjugated and subordinated to you, Dr. Heath. <laughs> well, we'll have to work on that uh, over time here. You're, you're uh, a typical we'll talk manager. About in fact, you're, you're the inspiration of all those management posts that I've been making uh, over the course of the 250. Well, we'll have to talk about this at your next performance review, your subversive activities and writing directly about me. And I'll have to make sure I take all, take all royalties appropriately uh, now that you've indicated that that's what you're doing. But I, I think in terms of the original question, you know, are, is Heath Analytics being built for su sustainability? I think in some ways, yes, from just the profitability kind of side of things, not necessarily we're doing everything to just keep it low cost and minimal and leveraging the tools that exist out there, not trying to just go off and blow lots of cash for the purpose of doing it, not trying to raise money just for the sake of raising money because it's cool not going to networking events because it's feeds my ego that, you know, being talked about or handing out business cards just for the sake of handing out business cards. So I think there's that element of it. I think the other element of it that I think a lot, what we're trying to explore in our posts and in the, even in this podcast is this about how would we design such a sustainable organization and how do we start to break ourselves out of this, the standard way of doing things. So even ideas that we explore in our posts about how structure should go or how people should be empowered to do certain things and how work should happen, I think it's starting to hopefully inform in the event that Heath Analytics becomes bigger and becomes more people get, get involved in it over time, it starts to become something that's different. It's more uh, about development. It's more about empowering individuals to sort of just go off and do what they need to do to self-actualize but with a bent on, hey, we still have to exist as a business. We still have livelihood. Like, so how do we blend the market capitalism that we find ourselves in with the desire to self-actualize and to enable people to do good work and to enable this overall progress? And so I think even going through this is a big exercise for Keith Analytics as a whole to try to figure out how do we become more sustainable uh, and not just trying to go off and get every client possible, go after all these sort of things to sort of take it one step at a time and really try to understand what our strategy really is and what makes us different and unique so that when it time comes, when the opportunity knocks, we go after it in the right kind of way without getting pulled into the typical spend more money than you have, go down, you know, economic downturn destroys your company, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I certainly uh, agree. I, I think my experience within Heath Analytics is uh, certainly consistent with what you've indicated it's it's i think that you and i both value uh, the notion of reflective sense making and and sort of writing something reflecting on it experiencing something reflecting on it and then trying to build upon that in a way that is both gratifying uh, and emancipatory right that, that there's this notion of increasing freedom and autonomy that by by doing these things uh, we're becoming less constrained, not more constrained. And, and I think that you've uh, correctly identified, right? It would be it would be much, much easier for us to sell the standard gimmick if what we were trying to do was just uh, be consultants and just make money. Uh, that that doesn't require a whole lot of thought and and maybe perhaps not that much talent either. Uh, but but neither you nor I want to be engaged in that. So it's it's sort of an interesting experience to to sort of focus on 
how do we incorporate thinking in a meaningful way and not just get bogged down in thinking that that many people do, but hopefully have thinking based decisions and, and approaches that that lead to something that is appreciably better. To me, the wild card will be what clients out there are interested in diff- trying to do things differently and how many people can we attract and leverage and help and support them grow. Because I think a lot of people think, I think, I believe a lot of people think they know what they want and they want the standard sort of like classic consulting sort of support and all that that brings. But I suspect that over time that will become less of a, they'll see less of fruits from that. So hopefully uh, we can get some people who are interested in this sort of brand of thinking or ideas that's beyond just the surface level delivery of crunching numbers and something that is more thoughtful that's actually hopefully going to make a difference in their business. So we'll see. We'll see how that progresses. It'll be an experiment that we'll continue to work on. Uh, And hopefully we'll do the routine stuff that becomes eventually the right opportunity will knock and we will go and make it happen. Sounds good, Dr. Heath. I'm all in. Uh, I think that wraps it up for today. Dr. Jackson, it was great as always chatting with you. I will talk to you in a fortnight. Yeah, two weeks. Looking forward to it for sure. And if anyone uh, else out there wants to read more about this, uh, you can feel free to read one of our 250 plus posts on don'toverthinkthis.net. And we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Thanks.